Welcome to Bible Near You, a Bible study program that seeks to shed some light on the Bible and aims to drive the shade of ignorance from the mind of the people across the world. The program comes to you every Wednesday at BibleNearYou.co.za at 1600 South African Standard Time. We are also available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and other podcasting platforms. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Bible Near You. If you have any questions concerning the content of our show, you can email us at question at biblenearyou.co.za. Now we join our host and teacher, Lungisa Jostri. This is another day that the Lord has made, and we are to rejoice and be glad in this day. We've come to episode number 17 of Bible Near You, and it is the 3rd of March 2021, and we are looking at the book of Nehemiah. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for this wonderful day that you have given us. Allowing us, Lord, to come together to study your word, open our hearts and minds, give us understanding and insight into what is written, and also, Lord, to know how to apply it in our daily lives. We give you praise and thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, my dear friends, we've come to the 16th book of the Bible. This is book number 16 of the Bible, the book of Nehemiah. Uh, it's one of the most fascinating um, books in the Old Testament. One of those. I mean, every book of the Bible is fascinating, but that's why it intrigues me more uh, because of how God actually uses a single man to do the work amidst all the opposition uh, God has been with Nehemiah. So we're looking at the book of Nehemiah. Just to remind you, my dear friends, that we are doing an overview of the Bible. We're not going in depth. So do not be angry at me when I don't touch on certain issues. We are not going deep uh, study of the Bible, but we're doing the overview. So we're just doing an aerial view. We're just uh, going over, uh, looking at an aerial picture of it, not the details when you... You know, when you have this um, aerial view of a map, but you're not going into the street to see the house numbers and how the houses are designed. You just look from the rooftops. So that's what we're doing on the Bible. So we've done the introduction of the Bible where we just did an overall interview of the sorry overview of the Bible, looking at uh, its main divisions, the Old and the New Testament, looking at how those divisions were divided themselves. So now we're looking uh, at the book of Nehemiah, and it is under the history section of the Old Testament. In fact, it is second book. Um, it is second last in the history. So next week, Lord willing, we'll be looking at the book of Esther, which is the last book on the historical section of the Old Testament. So we, we look at the book of Nehemiah. The title of the book is Nehemiah because it documents uh, what Nehemiah did. Also, uh, the author of the book is Nehemiah. I have uh, strong reasons to believe that Nehemiah wrote this book, because in the entire book, he writes in the first person. If you look at Nehemiah 1 verse 1, it says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, 
And it came to pass, then it started, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu, in the 28th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace. So this is Nehemiah. So whatever we're going to read in this book, these are the words of Nehemiah. So that's the title there, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. So we're reading what Nehemiah wrote. So we're getting here a first person account. It's a first experience account. Nehemiah is the one that tells us the story here. So the book of Nehemiah covers the events that look, uh, sorry, that took place during the third phase of the return of the of captivity. You remember that the first phase was when they returned with Zerubbabel, and the second phase is when they returned with Ezra, the one we were dealing with last week. And the last phase, the third phase, they returned with Nehemiah. And these are the dates. Uh, Zerubbabel returned at 538 BC, and Ezra returned 458 BC, and um, in 444 BC, Nehemiah returned. All right, so I, I guess that is clear. Now, going in to the book. So we we are introduced here to the condition of the people or the condition of Jerusalem. So the people of the Jews that are in Jerusalem, uh, and we hear of that as Nehemiah asked his brother who came. His name was Hanan Hanani. Oh, yes, Hanani. I'll just say that. Hanani, he says here in verse 2, that Nahani came, sorry, Nahani, one of the brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned seven days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So we are introduced here to the condition of Jerusalem. So there are brothers that came uh, from Jerusalem, whose uh, name was Hanani, and some men of Judah. And Nehemiah wanted to know the status, what's the condition of the fellow Jews that were returned to Jerusalem. And uh, they found out that the state was not good. And so it bothered Nehemiah to the point that he sat down and wept and he fasted and he prayed a number of days. So now we see from verse 5 to verse 11, he's praying to God. He's praying to God concerning what he has had because it grieved him so much. And I encourage you, my dear friends, that it is good to pray to God. If there's something that you hear, bad news that you hear, things that somehow are out of your control, pray, pray. Uh, it's not good to gossip. It's not good to spread rumors around, but it's good to pray. Call upon the name of the Lord. If ever you have something to say, if ever you have news to spread that will not benefit anybody anyway, pray, 
talk to God. So Nehemiah, because at this point he was on duty, he was working for King Artaxerxes, so he was serving there as his uh, cup bearer, so he, he couldn't do anything about the condition in Jerusalem. So he prayed to God, he prayed to God and asked him to devise means that this conditions, these conditions be changed. And so in chapter 2, we hear then that God opens the door. The king notices that Nehemiah is not happy. It's very strange, very strange. Kings usually never care about the well-being of their servants. They don't care. And this king notices. In fact, even says that, why are you sad? Because you're not sick. Suddenly, this is the issue of the heart. It's like you are emotionally not well. Something is going on. What's happening? Tell me. Imagine that. A king concerned about the issues that are bothering a servant. It's, it's unheard of. But here we, we see Artaxerxes being concerned with the matters of Nehemiah's heart. And so Nehemiah then in verse 2, in chapter 2 says, Whereas the king said, Why? Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sore of the heart. Then I was very sore afraid and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's, Selpaka, the place of my father's Selpaka, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So he says, What do you want me to do? What do you want? What, what is your request? What are you asking for? I said, so I pray to the God of heaven. I like that. He prayed. So even in that brief moment when they're having this conversation with the king, he prayed. He was uh, interceding and praying. So he said, I pray to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant had found favor in thy sight, and Thou wouldest send me unto Judah and unto the city of my father, unto the city of my father's Selpaka, or this is my father's graves, that I may build it. So he requests to return and to go and build the city. So it says here in verse 6, the king said unto me, and also it puts in bracket now, this is commentary. And the queen also said by him, So how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and set, and I set him a time. So now he's allowed to go. So the king does him a favor, also writes him a letter that will, he will present to the governors across the river, because they had to cross the river. I think it's the Euphrates that they had to cross and come over to uh, this side. Or was it Jordan? I don't remember. But they had to cross. There the were people who were beyond the river. I think it was River Jordan because they were going to come to over Jordan into Israel because they're coming from the east and Israel is in uh, Judah is in the west. So there were governors over there uh, who were ruling. So the governor was uh, the governor's name here we're getting was Asaph. So it says in verse eight and a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates and palaces which are pointed. Oh, this one was in charge of the forest. So he was, he was going to, Nehemiah was requesting wood, in fact. So the king did that. 
the king gave everything and also he, he wrote him letters um, to, to, to hand over to the governors across the river to allow Nehemiah to go through and also to give him all the provision he needed to build. So this is what we see that when a man has trouble, God will answer if uh, he prays something that is in accordance to God's will. And so this is what happened because it wasn't God's will that the temple, sorry, the city be built because the temple was already being built or in the process of being built. So now the walls are in disrepair, the gates are in disrepair, the city in general is in disrepair and in its building. And so Nehemiah, it was put in his heart to do that. So he prayed and God granted him this wish and also moved the king to allow him to do the job that he needed to do for the Lord. So I'm saying to you, my dear friends, if we we put our hearts in God's work, God will move even unbelievers to help us to do the work of God. I'm not saying that they will be hands-on because, I mean, you will read in Nehemiah as we go forward that there were people who wanted to hinder the work, like Sanballat, who said that, come on, let us help you. Let us help you build. And... Um, Nehemiah refused, surely completely rejected them. They said, we have no business with you. Uh, no, we're not going to, you're not going to build with us. We are going to do, we are going to do this ourselves. However, God will make doors open. He will use unbelievers to open those doors and you, you go forward. Like as it did with Artaxerxes. Even when you go even further, uh, sorry, if you go uh, back, if you go back in time, you hear that uh, there was this decree by Cyrus king of Persia. There was also Darius was involved also um, at some point. So you can see that God uses these kings, um, great kings, to maneuver, to create opportunities for his people to do exactly what God wants. So in chapter 3, we hear that Nehemiah convinces now the people of Judah to build. And there was opposition. So he comes to Judah now. He, he comes and he convinces those people that let's build a wall. We're going to build. So, and so as they started building, started working, and then there was opposition. There was so strong opposition. Now, I want you to, to see this because the, the, the opposition it, it was so strong and it, it continued and they, they had to work. These people had to work with their tools in one hand and with their weapons on the other. So they had to work on guard. So they are working, building. They've got tools, but they also have weapons so that if ever the enemies come, they will stop building and fight off the enemies and then continue with the work. So this was a very stressful situation that these Jews find themselves in. So now if, you, if we're going to read here, look at, at chapter 4, how then Sanballat and they were trying to stop these people. It says, but it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we built at the wall, he was wroth. So he was very angry and he took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? So this is the old English, my friends. What do these feeble Jews? It means, what are these weak Jews doing? 
It says, will they fortify themselves? Are they going to make themselves strong? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burnt? Now, there was another man called, he was called Tobiah. He was an Ammonite. And he was, he was by uh, Sanballat. He says, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall, be, he shall even break it down. Their stone wall. So this is what he said. If a fox go up, he shall break down their stone wall. That was a great mockery. The guy was so cheeky that he says the wall they are building is so weak that if a fox, if you know a fox, it's a small animal. It's not, it's not that heavy. But he says, if the fox walks over that, go up that wall, it's just going to fall down. This is, they were mocking them. This this is really irritating. Can you imagine you're trying to work and it's so hard, you're building, the sun is hot, you're putting uh, stones, you're placing your thing, um, uh, you're working basically. And the people who are busy, 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 busy speaking nonsense. It's irritating when you're working hard and there are people playing. It's irritating when you're working hard and there's someone who's busy telling jokes, even though it's just jokes to entertain everybody. It's sometimes it's really irritating when you really want to when you want to work done and finished. But it's even more irritating. It's even more annoying when somebody is actually making fun of you, when they're trying to discourage you. But hear this. Hear the response of those people. Nehemiah says in verse four of chapter four says, "Hear, O our God, for we are despised." Turn their reproach into their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the wall and all the wall we joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Hey. Nehemiah had a very strong team. Now, first, hear this. Instead of replying to Tobiah and Sanballat, instead of responding to their mockery, they took to God. They prayed to God. They reported the issues to God. So they did not complain. They did not send letters to complain and tell everybody what Sanballat and Tobiah are planning or what they're doing. They simply took it to God, and they continued doing the work that was sanctioned for them. And look at this now. Since we built the wall, and they even built, joined it um, where it met, the half of it. It says, it says here, for the people had a mind to work. Can you believe it? This is a dream team. I think every leader is dreaming for people who would do this, who will commit themselves into work, who will have a mind to work. Some pastors will kill, um, figuratively, for a team like that, people who are focused in the work. I mean, I would give anything to have a team of people that are committed to prayer, that are committed to preaching the word, that they are committed to do evangelism. I will give anything 
to have such a team in in my church, in the church where I am entrusted. We dream for people who are, who are like that. People, even in your absence, who can do the work. And so Nehemiah had this team, had these people in the midst of all opposition. In the most trying and difficult time, he had people that had mind to work. They were committed to work. Oh, oh, that we may be committed to do the work of God. Oh, that we may be committed. Oh, that we may have the mind to work, to do the work of God. To not make excuses, to not allow discouragement and enemies to come against us. Or that God would give us a heart and a mind to work. A heart and a mind to work in his church. A heart and a mind to work in the fields where there's so lot of unbelievers that we go out to deliver the message of the gospel to the masses. Oh, that we may have a mind to work. So Nehemiah had a dream team here. So in verse 7 it says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobias and the Arabians and Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the bridges began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and all conspired, all of them together, to come and fight against Jerusalem to hinder. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burden is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build a wall. And our adversary said, they shall not know, neither see till we come in the midst among them and slay them, cause the work and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, From all places whence you shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore set I the lower places, in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible. And fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us and, and God had brought their counsel to naught that they returned uh, that we returned all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth, the half of my servant wrought in the work, and the half of them held, um, both, held both the spears, the shield and the bows, and the habergeons, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. This is a good, a very strong team, because what happened now is that the enemies are planning to attack them, but somebody came and reported, and it was known, and they prayed to God. I like that. Did Nehemiah said, we made our prayers to God. This is amazing here. This man trusted in his God. He trusted in, the, in their God, so they prayed. Can you hear this again? Verse 89. And conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. 
verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. So this is what's happening. So now, not only is Nehemiah leading here and organizing people, also the elders, the leaders in Judah were behind all the people. They were encouraging the people. They were, they were helping the people. It was a strong consolidation. It was a strong team. They were not going to be stopped by these mere enemies. And Nehemiah encouraged them and told them to trust in their God and remember what God had done and remember who their God is. This is, an, this is amazing. So we see also now that um, there are reforms that Nehemiah is bringing in chapter 5. So there are reforms, economic reforms that he's bringing here um, as a governor, as he was a governor now in, in Jerusalem. And also there was opposition again. In verse 6, there was opposition again in verse So here this. Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobias and Geshem, the Arabian, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there, were, there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gate, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some uh, one of the villages in the plain of Ono, but they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messages unto them saying, I am doing a great work so, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after the sort, and I answered them after the same manner. Then sent St. Pilate's seven unto me in like manner in the fifth time when an open letter in his, with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, it is reported among the heathen, and, and Gashmu saith, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest a wall, that they mayest be the king according to these words. No, sorry, that thou mayest be king according to these words. So is 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 what's happening now. So they try now to kill Nehemiah. So they want to have a meeting. Of course, they wanted to kill him. So he they say, come down and let's meet in one of the villages. And Nehemiah says, hey, I'm busy working here. There's a great work I'm doing here. I am busy. Why should I come to you? Why should I come and meet you and leave the work here? So the work would stop if I leave, if I leave and come and attend to you. So he, they did this four times. And he also replied the same way. Look here, I am busy. So, <laughs> so what happened is they then brought a letter now saying, you know what? You, it's like a blackmail. We are going, we are going to say... They, they brought an open letter and they say, now what we're going to do is we're going to say, we're going to spread rumors that you are thinking to rebel and make yourself a king. That's what they were saying now. So it says, then I sent unto him saying, there is no such thing done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they all made us afraid saying, their hands shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Here again, he replies to them. Then later he prays, God, strengthen my hands. He always looked to God for source of strength. He trusted God. He drew the strength from God. 
It's a good lesson for us. I mean, we've seen this now in the book of Nehemiah from chapter 1 that Nehemiah trusted God. Everything he did, he prayed to God. He drew his strength from God. He went forward at the strength that God afforded him. Nothing he did in his own strength and in his own wisdom and, and knowledge. So in, in chapter 6, in verse 10 says, Afterwards I came unto the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of uh, Mahetabah, who was shut up, and he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, So shut a man as I flee. And who is there that I being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceive that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced his prophecy against me. For Tobiah and Sonbalat had hired him. See, Nehemiah also had discernment. He could discern. He could see exactly what this man was was up to, this Shemaiah. He, he, he was... Um, he wanted to Nehemiah now to go and hide in the temple and, and be there. So while he's hiding, of course, the work is going to be disrupted because he as a leader and an organizer is no more. So they, they would easily have stirred the people, turned them against Nehemiah as the guy that wants to control them, but he's not doing any more work. At first, he was among them, working with them, leading them, organizing them, supervising or everything. But now he goes in to hide in the temple. They could turn the hearts of the people against them and therefore compromise the whole project of finishing building the building of the wall and placing the doors uh, at the gate. So he saw that, no, this guy has been hired by Tobiah and Sanballat. So no, I am not going to hide in the temple. That's not going to happen. So in verse 13, he says, Therefore was he hired that I, sh that I should be afraid and do so and sin, that they might have a matter for an evil report and that they might reproach me. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sanballat according to, this, to their work, and on the prophetess Noedia and the rest of the prophets that would not put me, that have put me in fear. Oh, so they use prophets basically to, to fear, to bring free, fear on Nehemiah. This sounds very familiar. When men of God are working and are people that are exposing heresy and uh, false prophecies, they are these big men who are thought to be prophets who come and start threatening people and, and, and pronouncing bad things that they are going to happen over them and all that. So they brought these prophets to come and, and, and bring false prophecies, trying to intimidate Nehemiah. But Nehemiah was very strong. He trusted upon his God and he, he knew his God. That's a thing here, my dear friends, that if you know your God, it's not easy for you to be to be disturbed. It's not easy for you to be swayed, driven away from the truth if you know your God. So this is why we do Bible studies. This is why I've taken upon myself that I would teach a Bible study every Wednesday on the Internet. I have committed myself that on Thursday in my, in my home, I will teach a Bible study. People will come to my house and I will teach them Bible. It's a commitment that I've made because it's important that people know the scriptures 
It's important that people know the word of God, that people know their God, and we can only know God from the scriptures. And as we grow in the knowledge of God, then when false prophets come with their nonsense, we will be able to detect, we'll be able to know exactly what they are up to. Because we see the word of God and the word of God tells us about the false prophets. The word of God tells us about God. And when the false prophet comes and pretend to be something is not, we will pick that up. And so Nehemiah, who knew his God, could see through these false prophets and, uh, and that they are just hired servants of his enemies. So, and then in chapter 7, we just see the list of the people that returned in the first phase. These are the people that returned with uh, Zerubbabel, as uh, they are listed in the book of Ezra, chapter 2, verse 1 to 6 to 7. So you can go there, check it out, compare the lists. Uh, it's just uh, the census of the people. And then we come to chapter 8. So this is the second section of the book of Ezra. Sorry, book of Nehemiah. Uh, where we're learning now of the further reforms involving Ezra and Nehemiah. Now let's uh, just read, I'm just going to read a few verses here um, from verse 1, chapter 8. It says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses with the Lord uh, which the Lord commanded to Israel. Now, we're going to hear in chapter 8, we're going to read of the greatest revival that ever took place in Israel after captivity. When people returned from captivity and they have built the wall and the city and all the breaches had been fixed. So here they are standing in the street there and they ask for the book of the law. They asked Ezra to bring the, the, the book of the law of Moses. They wanted to hear the word of God. And there was going to be great revival at the water gate. Verse 2 says, And Ezra the priest brought the book, brought the law, before the congregation both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. So here are the people. On the first day of the seventh month, Ezra brings the book of the law. Uh, we assume that it was the book of Deuteronomy that he brought in there. And it says, And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and these that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. So he's, Ezra is reading from the morning until midday, reading from the book of the law, reading it to the people. Verse 4, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood. Stood upon the pulpit of wood. <laughs> There's the word pulpit in the Bible. Which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matithiah 
and Shema, and Ananiah, and Urijah, and Hilkiah, and Maseah, on his right hand, and on the left hand, Pediah, and Mashael, and Malkiah, and Hashum, and Hashbadana, and Zechariah, and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. So this is what's happening now. So Ezra is bringing, is bringing the law to the people that made a, a pulpit for that purpose. So he will be higher than the people so everybody can see him. And also, it is also intentional to put him higher there because if he will speak to the people from the higher position, everyone have a better chance of hearing him. It's very hard to hear when a people is talking and shouting and his voice is blocked by the people that are in front of you. But if, he's, 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 if that person is a bit elevated without a microphone and other forms of modern technology and amplification, so if that person is a bit higher and he speaks from some sort of a podium, People can hear, everybody can hear because his voice is traveling from a higher level. So everybody can, can hear what he is saying. And so, says Ezra, open the book and the people stood. This is a very solemn moment. People stood in respect. In fact, it is, a, it is always a tradition in the Jews. When God is speaking, people stand. God never speaks and people are sitting down. Um, there's a time where he spoke to Job, says, stand up, I want to speak to you. You stand. When, uh, when uh, a figure that uh, looks the same as Jesus in the Old Testament, in the book of Revelation, appeared to Daniel, and Daniel lost all the power, and he was weak, um, that being touched him. And then he strengthened him, then he, he, he raised him, he said, stand up. Then he spoke to him, standing. So, when God spoke, people stood. So here again, when the book is open, the people stood up to hear what the word of God has to say. Verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua and Bani and Sharabiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodijah, Maseiah, Kelita, Azariah, Jozabad, Hannah, Paliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So it means like they caused the people to understand the law. They interpreted what was being said. They explained uh, what the law had to say brought a proper application to them so they understand the book. So verse 8, so they read the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense. That means they translated, they explained what was being said. So as I am doing here, I'm reading from the Bible and I explain what it says so that it makes sense to the people. Remember that these people lived thousands of years from Moses. And two, these people, most of them no longer speak 
pure Hebrew. So they their Hebrew is contaminated with uh, with um, the language of the Syrians, of uh, Babylonian and the Persians. So sort of makes some people were born in, in times where Hebrew maybe was totally fading. So now they need to understand the original, the pure Hebrew in which Moses was written. All right, so now um, all this happened. Now look at this. After they've heard the book, the, the book of the law, the reading of the book of the law, it had to bring conviction. In fact, the Bible says that the law is good. The law of the Lord is good, convicting the heart. So look at this. In verse 9, Nehemiah, which is the Teshatha, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites and the, that taught the people, said unto the people this day, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They were convicted. They cried to God. And I think the reason they wept is to know that there was a warning in the law. That they will be carried away into captivity if they turn their backs to God. But also there's a promise in that law that if they will turn to God, if they will pray to Him, if they will seek God with all of their heart, God will hear them and it will bring them back home. And now, after 70 years, they were back home. God had brought them back home. Also, they could have been weeping because the law of God convicted of their immediate wrongdoing, of their immediate sins that they have committed. And the law of God brought to light their sinfulness. And they wept before God. They cried before God. It says, Then said, Unto them, in verse 10, then said unto them, Go ye away, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions of them to whom nothing is prepared. For this day is the holy day unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. My dear friends, my dear friends, there was a revival. At the water gate, when we look at the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. I don't want to dwell much on this, but one day we will revisit this, this story here. But we see that the, what the role the scriptures play in the lives of the people. The scriptures are important. They are the word of God. And when we read from them, God speaks and it touches the heart. Touches the heart. So we don't live, in, we don't live as preachers to entertain people we don't want that we don't want people to be entertained we don't want to be intellectuals people who show much wisdom speak swelling words great words speak big words in english and in other languages and and be great orators when we come to preach we pick up the bible we read from it we explain what it says and we trust god to touch the heart Touch the heart deep that 
when when that has happened, man will be convicted. Man will turn away from their sins. Man will call upon the name of the Lord for help. They will weep before God. They will weep before God who is able to save. And so as we see here in the book of Nehemiah, this is the case. This is what happened. There was no entertainment there was, this was not a, a story that was just being told for entertainment purposes. When the book was read, it was read so that man will know what God demands, what God wants from us, what God expects from us. Not only to know what God expects for us, but to know our relationship with him, how he wants us to be, who we are to him, who does he want to be to us. So, as we go to chapter 9, we see the prayer of Levites looking at um, chapter 9. The Levites prayed. And um, look, look at this here. Some of the words in the prayer that I'm, I'm highlighting here. They said, Yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. So they recall the works of God in the wilderness when they brought the, their fathers from the wilderness, from, from Egypt through the Red Sea into the wilderness. And he was leading them with a, pillar, with a pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. So they recall that, how God gave them. It says here in verse 20, thou, verse 20 chapter 9, says, Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them, and will hast uh, not thy manna from their mouth, and gave them water for their thirst. So they recall the good works of God. They recall the good works of God in the wilderness. The ones that we've seen as we were dealing with Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Verse 27, just highlighting some of the things after they provoke God to anger. says, Therefore thou deliverest them into the hand of their enemies who vexed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven. And according to thy manifold mercies, thou gavest them saviors who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. Uh, this is a reference to the times of the judges that they sinned against God, handed them over to their enemies, raised the judge, and as the judge lived, the people were uh, in check, and the enemies were in check. After the judge dies, people go back to their sins. God hands them over to their enemies, raise the judge to save them. It, it was a process. It was a repeated process. It says, listen to this. It's, as I said, it refers to, what, in the, to the book of Judges. In verse 28, But after they had rest... They did evil again before thee. Therefore leftest thou them in the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. And yet when they returned and cried unto thee, thou hast them from heaven. And many times did thou deliver them according to thy mercies. So this continued. And so they are praying, recalling these things. Now, here at the end of it all, this is what they are saying. To God. Now, therefore, our God, the great God, the mighty and the terrible God, who keepest 
covenant and mercy. Let not all the trouble seem little before thee that thou come upon us in our king, on our kings and on our princes and our priests and our prophets and on our fathers and all thy people since the time of the kings of Assyria unto this days. How be it, thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. That's what we should be doing. That's what we should be saying to God. God, you are holy. You are righteous. We are sinners. You have treated us kindly. We have done badly. Forgive our sins. Help us. So they confess their sins to God. They prayed to God. They cried to God. So we go to chapter 10, we see the resolve to keep the law and to provide for the Levites. So there's also a list of the people that were in ministry at that time, that the people that were that returned with, uh, sorry, with Nehemiah. And uh, we also see here in chapter 11, the centers of the people leaving throughout Israel. Also in chapter 12, the record of priests and Levites who came with the first wave. And also we see the walls dedicated and the temple functions reinstituted. However, there was a very sad thing that is recorded in chapter 13. People have a habit of turning away from God. Nehemiah had uh, gone, he had gone back to, to do his work. Because remember, the king asked him, how long are you going to be away? Remember when we read in Nehemiah chapter 2, um, when the queen was sitting with the king in verse 6, says, for how long shall thy journey be and when will thou return? Then he says, so it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. That means Nehemiah was not going to be in Judah for too long. He was going to be a certain time, then return back to the king. Then what happened is they, these people, they did something which was terrible. They did something which was terrible. First, look at this in, in verse in, in chapter 13. It's, it says here, on the day they read the book of Moses in the audience of the people, there was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of the Lord ever, because they met not the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them, how be it, our God turned the curse unto the, into a blessing. Now it came to pass, when they had heard the law, they separated from Israel, all the mixed multitude. Okay, so this is when they were, they put, they were taking wives and they were also um, mixing with all these people. So Ammonites were not allowed and the Moabites were not allowed. And remember, there's an Ammonite uh, that we spoke about earlier. His name is Tobiah, the one that was mocking them, saying that if a fox climb on their wall, it will fall. Now, they've done something horrible, these people. Listen here. At the assets of Nehemiah, in verse 4, it says, And before this, Eliashab, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied to Tobiah. Tobiah was an Ammonite. 
verse 5, he had prepared for him a great chamber where aforetime they laid the meat offering and the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes and the corn and the wine and oil which was commanded to be given unto the Levites and the singers and the porters and offerings of the priests. So they gave him a room in the temple. They gave an Ammonite, Tobiah, a room in the temple. And that room they gave him, at first it was for the provision for the Levites. This is where the tithes were stored. This is where the meat for the Levite was stored. Everything that pertained to the Levite, it was stored in that room. And they gave it to Tobiah, an Ammonite. People who are not even allowed to be in the congregation, much less inside the temple. So now Nehemiah came and he, he, he chased Tobiah out, kicked him out. So it says here in verse 8, And it grieved me so, therefore... I cast forth all the household staff of Tobiah out of the chamber that I commanded that they be, they be cleansed, th that they cleanse the chamber and thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God, which uh, with the meat offering and the frankincense. So he restored the temple and its function the way it was supposed to be kicked out as uh, Tobiah and his, his uh, possessions there. Then I commanded, uh, sorry, um, sorry, and I perceived that the portions of the Levite had not been given them, for the Levite and the singers that did the work were fled, everyone to his field. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and said to them in their place. So, you see, Nehemiah came back and did reforms again because they're no longer paying the Levites the, 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 what they're supposed to. So the Levites now had to go and work in the fields, leave the work of God, go work in the fields so to support themselves. So Nehemiah confronted the rulers who were there. Why are you leaving the house of God? Why are you not taking care of the ministry in the house of God? What are you doing? So he brought them back. So Nehemiah also prayed here in verse 14, Remember me, O God, concerning this, and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. So he restored everything that was... Sub so, my friends, all in all, this is what we draw out of Nehemiah, was a man of prayer, and in his prayer, God provided him what he needed. He provided him the material he needed to build. He provided him a golden team, people who had a mind to work. Also, when there was opposition, Nehemiah prayed, did not address the enemies. He prayed. He prayed. When they tried to draw him out, God helped him out. He discerned and he continued to pray and trust in his God and also Nehemiah was not compromising. When he came back and found people had, had backslid in, he challenged them. He cleansed the temple, chased out all the things that were not supposed to be done, followed the law of God to the T. So my friends, I say we are to walk after the scripture and we are to do the work of God and not forsake it. And we are to be the men and women of prayer. We cannot live without prayer. We should consistently seek the face of God in prayer. My dear friends, this was a longer episode, but I trust that you benefited so much. So go read the book of Nehemiah and enjoy what God is doing there. I'm also encouraging you, my dear friends, to read the book of Esther. 
which we will be dealing with which we'll be dealing next week the book of Esther in episode number 18 again I thank you so much reminding you we have social media presence we are on Twitter Facebook and Instagram at Bible near you and we are also on Instagram as well sorry in our telegram there's a lot of grams here so we are also on telegram the link is on the show notes so all the links to our social media platforms are on our show notes so you will find there my dear friends i want to say to you you have a fantastic week goodbye